Ready? We are starting a new sermon series today uh, that's going to last from now all the way up through Easter. And uh, we're going to be talking our way through the story of Jesus as it is told in the biblical book of Mark. Um, I want to talk a little bit, a couple of reasons why we're doing this and things. Um, First, uh, why study the story of Jesus? And there's a couple of verses in the Bible that explain our desire to focus on the life of Jesus. Uh, Here's the first one. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. It says that God has spoken to us in many ways. See, through nature, we're able to learn about God's creativity and his power and his love of beauty. And through the various stories in the Bible, uh, we learn about how God relates to people and, uh, and, and various things about, about God and about ourselves. But the ultimate revelation of God is his son, Jesus. And when we see how Jesus treated people, we see how God treats people. When we see uh, what brings out the compassion in Jesus, we see what brings out God's compassion. And when we read the teachings of Jesus, we hear the words of God. And when we see what makes Jesus angry, we see what it is that makes God angry. So do you want to know God better? Then get to know the story of Jesus as taught in the Bible. Another verse uh, tells us that uh, as throughout our lives as Christians, we are to be looking to Jesus as an example of the perfect human. It says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we'll see things more clearly. Are you wondering how to run the race of life? You fix your eyes on Jesus. Are you looking for guidance in your life? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is our great example, and his teachings will tell us how we should live. And so we read about Jesus, and we talk about Jesus, and we preach about Jesus. And for the next 15 weeks, we're going to be focused on the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you want to get the most out of this study of Mark, there's a couple of additional things you can do. Uh, Besides just being here and listening to the sermons, um, there's a couple other things I want to talk about. One is memorizing the verses uh, for uh, for our monthly memory verse challenge. For this next uh, three months, we're going to be using verses from the Gospel of Mark, from the passages that we're going to be preaching about. So, The verse that we looked at a few minutes ago and all read together off the screen is one from today's message. And I really encourage you as you you memorize these verses and you're focusing on the meanings of the words and while you work on imprinting these things in your brain, that is a great spiritual exercise. And you could even win a cool prize too. And I know there's some of you who would never want to stand up front here and try to recite a memory verse. You just being up front is a great fear or whatever. 
that's fine. You don't have to put your name in the drawing. Just memorize the verse. And, uh, and that's the real point anyway, that all the prizes and the drawings and stuff are just a, a way to promote the whole thing. But, but really, uh, I encourage you, be uh, memorizing scripture. The point of the whole thing is to put the Bible in your brain. Secondly, uh, another thing you can do to, to get the most out of this uh, series on Mark is um, that we have put together a reading plan that can help you to read through the whole Gospel of Mark in sync with the sermons. And we put it in your bulletin, you'll see a little insert like this. And uh, it has some things on the front, and then on the back, it's got the schedule for reading Mark. And, uh, and that will sync you up. It tells you what passage we're going to be preaching on, and then what section of Mark you should be reading. Um, sermons are not going to cover every part of the text. Right? That's, uh, we're, we're just going to be picking out key passages that we have chosen to, uh, to focus on. But it would be great for you to read all the context and, and the whole uh, Gospel of Mark so that you can understand better the sections that we're going to be preaching about when you have been reading the uh, context. So I suggest you read each passage before you come to church that week so that you'll get the most... From the sermon. So how many of you read this week's reading? Well, probably not since you just got the thing a few minutes ago, but, but uh, that's okay because we're spending two weeks in chapter one. So if you read all of chapter one by next week, you'll be all caught up and, uh, and ready to go for next week's sermon. So I encourage you to be doing that. There's also uh, information here about three other ways to study the gospel of Mark um, that, uh, that we're recommending to you. First one is a 12-week study from the Gospel Coalition. Um, it's, uh, there's a little uh, scantron there for you that you can, uh, you can scan it into your phone or you can look up that web address and you'll find a, a nice Bible study that will lead you through. It's not going to sync up perfectly with the sermons, but it's uh, going to be close enough and you'll get a good study of the Gospel of Mark as, you, as we are also preaching on it. Or there's some other things there that you can read about. So... I encourage you to just choose the one that fits for you or, or do more than one if you really are ambitious but, uh, and do some homework and really get the most out of uh, this series from the Gospel of Mark. But before we get into the passage uh, today that uh, we're going to be covering, I, there's one more thing I want to talk about and that is the title that we gave to our sermon series. We're calling it Marked, with the E-D at the end. Um, and uh, the, the reason for that is, you know, we're, we're kind of uh, playing on that homonym between the, the name Mark and the verb Mark, right? Um, and, uh, and we believe that encounters with Jesus should leave a mark on us. Right? So I have actually a literal mark on my leg from encountering from, with Jesus. Um, see, one of the key ideas that Jesus taught about how to live for God is the idea of servanthood. And then later in the Bible, the apostles, Peter, James, Paul, all in the introduction to their letters, uh, when they give their title, their title is Servant of Christ. And, uh, and I aspire to be a servant of God and of my fellow man. And so I have the Greek word for servant, which is doulos, tattooed 
on my calf. And I'll show it to you right now. It's right here on the back of my leg. I've got that on there. Kind of hard to read from there, but uh, you can see it on the screen here. You can see uh, it's written in a font called P39, which is, uh, was made specifically to imitate the handwriting of one of the very earliest uh, Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, uh, a, a papyrus fragment called P39. And um, so basically this is uh, an imitation of exactly what the handwriting of the original documents of the New Testament would have looked like. And I got that tattoo, it's the only one I have, uh, because I wanted to have a physical symbol of my identity as a servant of Christ Jesus. Not that I always live up to that identity, but I aspire to it. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you all go out and get tattoos. Um, tattoos are just physical marks, and your encounter with Jesus uh, should make a lasting spiritual mark on your life. And if you want to symbolize that with a tattoo, that's cool too. But um, here's the thing. The next 15 weeks will be a kind of an encounter with Jesus. And it is our hope that everyone who is part of it will be marked by the experience. Now, here's the thing. Doing, doing a study or listening to sermons is not going to change your life directly. It's an encounter with Jesus that will mark you. So here are two questions to ask yourself as you begin. Uh, how has Jesus marked my life up to this point? So just think about that. How is my life different? How has Jesus and my encounters with Jesus, how has that marked my life up to now? And then as we see Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, uh, keep in mind the question, what additional ways does he want to put his mark on me. How does Jesus want to put his mark on me? Okay, so now let's get into our passage from Mark uh, chapter 1 that will be our focus for today. Introduction to the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus. So here it is from Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. It says, After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In just two sentences, the Bible summarizes what Jesus taught as he traveled from town to town in northern Israel, preaching and teaching. And of course, such a brief summary like that, when you summarize something way down into, into just two sentences, it's just full of key words and key ideas that we need to understand. So first, Jesus says, uh, he says, uh, the time has come. The time has come. Now, that's a loaded phrase, right? The time has come. Uh, when someone says the time has come, it means the waiting is over. The thing that we've been looking forward to, the thing that has been coming, has now arrived. The time has come. And in this case, Jesus is referring to the time that the prophets of God have been talking about for hundreds of years. About 14 centuries before this, Moses had predicted, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. 
and you must listen to him. And then that theme of God uh, bringing another prophet or, a, or, or bringing what came to be known as the Messiah it follows through many, many prophecies throughout uh, the Bible. Um, about seven centuries before Jesus, Isaiah said this, he said, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. And Jesus is telling people here, the time has come. These prophecies are, are, are fulfilled uh, and, and many other prophecies are now being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And as the kingdom of God has come near, says Jesus, uh, uh, these prophecies about the kingdom of God are going to arrive. Now, if ever there was a key phrase in the teaching of Jesus, it's this. It's the kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom of God all the time. Uh, but it isn't a very easy concept for us to understand because when we think of a kingdom, um, we often have the same kind of idea that people in Jesus' own day had, which was they, they largely understood the idea to be closely tied to the idea of a, of a Davidic king, a, a descendant of David, ruling in Jerusalem over the Jewish nation of Israel. That's what people thought of. And, and, and we also think about a, a physical kingdom with borders and land and all that kind of stuff. And the kingdom of God, though... While it will eventually include that idea of, of a, a Davidic king in Jerusalem, it includes much more than that. At its heart, the kingdom of God is not about land or politics or nations. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. In summary, the, the kingdom of God uh, can be seen as the rule of God. Where God rules, his kingdom is there. And as we will see as we go through the story of Jesus, the kingdom arrives in the hearts of people who submit to God's rule. People enter the kingdom as individuals, but the kingdom is the community of God's people who live under God's rule. And even though the kingdom is not a physical kingdom like the nations of the world, the idea of an earthly kingdom can help us understand the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate kind of how kingdoms can be very different from one another. Uh, most of you know I spent uh, almost a decade as a missionary in South Africa. And during that time, we occasionally made trips to neighboring countries uh, around uh, South Africa. South Africa itself is one of those countries that's uh, sometimes called a middle-income country. Um, so while there's still a lot of widespread poverty in South Africa, there's also a very large middle class and in many ways a, a thriving, uh, diverse national economy. And many parts of South Africa, including the suburbs of Johannesburg, where we spent about five years living there, it actually looks a lot like a large American city. Uh, highways and traffic and shopping malls and all that kind of stuff. Um, and occasionally, while we were there, we would cross the border into neighboring countries of Swaziland and Mozambique, most often. Uh, once I made a big trip where we drove up through Mozambique, 
did some work on a church building uh, and uh, did a bit of preaching at a small town called Milanje and then crossed the border into Malawi and then drove uh, back down to South Africa through the country of Zimbabwe. And uh, Zimbabwe was quite an interesting, is still quite an interesting uh, place to be. Um, as we were driving through Zimbabwe, that was quite an adventure. Uh, first of all, uh, the roads that you would expect uh, in Zimbabwe were, were more like what you would think an African highway is going to be. That is, they were narrow, bad pavement, full of potholes, um, just rough driving. Uh, and occasionally, uh, police stops where, because we had South African license plates on our truck, they would stop us and uh, want to see all of our paperwork and things and see if they could find some excuse to make us uh, pay them some kind of a fine that would go in their pockets. Um, and then when we'd pull up to a gas pump in Zimbabwe, that was an interesting thing too. You'd pull into a gas station, there's a pump there, and you'd pull up and these guys would come out and they'd say, well, how much diesel do you need? And we'd tell them, oh, we need so many liters of diesel. And then they'd disappear and come back with, with cans of diesel to pour into the truck because the, the tanks that the gas pumps were hooked up to were empty. Um, so they could only come up with uh, fuel in these cans. Uh, but the most striking thing, though, was the lack of food in Zimbabwe. Now, we had heard before we went that there were shortages in Zimbabwe and things were hard to find, but we, we figured that's probably true if you only have Zimbabwe dollars. But if you have real currency, if you have U.S. dollars and you have South African rands, well, then there will be stuff to purchase if you, if you really uh, have money to buy it with. Uh, but we were wrong. Uh, there was just a shortage of food to purchase. And we had to search all over the place before we finally found a place that had some hamburgers for sale that cost just under a million uh, Zimbabwe dollars each for a hamburger. Um, now, I don't know if you can see this picture of uh, the Zimbabwean bank note there. It's a $50 million note. Uh, that came out a few years, uh, well, a few months after we were there. Uh, we, they weren't quite up to 50 million notes yet when we were there, but these, uh, these were worth just a couple of dollars U.S., and they just had this horrible problem with uh, uh, hyperinflation, where their currency was continually uh, going up and up and up. Um, now, here's the thing. When we crossed the bridge over the Limpopo River, that's the border between South Africa and Zimbabwe, and we, we crossed over into South Africa again, the contrast was enormous. Right across the bridge, the road becomes a four-lane divided highway with beautiful smooth pavement. Um, within sight of the bridge, there's a highway rest area with a Shell garage station, Shell gas station there, and a fully stocked convenience store and a restaurant attached to it that had you know, everything that you would want. A few miles down the road on the way back to Joburg, we, we uh, stopped at KFC for a nice uh, supper along the road, and we no longer feared being stopped by the police. Um, the contrast between the nation of Zimbabwe and the nation of South Africa is huge. Life in Zimbabwe is hard. In fact, I just heard a report on the news this week that... Uh, Currently, uh, in Zimbabwe, about half the population is having a hard time finding enough food to eat, even now, more than 10 years after 
I was there and had this experience. So while things are not perfect in South Africa, they are a whole lot better than they are across the border. Now, why is there such a big difference? Well, no doubt it's complicated, but I'll tell you what the reason is not is because of geography. When you cross that river, it's not really significantly different on one side or the other. Um, it's not because of rainfall or things like that. Uh, the biggest difference is the way that each nation has been ruled and who has been the rulers of these nations and how each government's policies have affected life in each country. So here's the point. Jesus is announcing that the kingdom of God is here and people can become a part of it. It's not a physical kingdom that has borders. The differences between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world are going to be different than the economic differences between South Africa and Zimbabwe. But the differences are actually much bigger and more important than simple economics. The kingdom of God is about forgiveness, righteousness, and justice. It's about the proper worship of God. It's about right relationships between people and between God and us. God's rule in our lives means wisdom in making decisions according to his will. The contrast between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God is huge. And Jesus tells us that there are two things we must do in order to cross the border and enter the kingdom of God. He says, repent and believe the good news. To repent is to turn around, to turn away from our sins, to make that change in our lives. And to believe the good news is to put our faith in God and trust him to guide us in our lives. And when we repent and believe, we enter into the kingdom of God as, as it, and God rules in our hearts and in our lives. And we become a part of the community of the people of God. Now, we're going to be seeing a lot uh, more about the kingdom of God and what it's all about as we go through this whole study in Mark. It's a frequent theme that Jesus uh, talks about and, and tells us about. But, um, but we'll, uh, so we'll leave it there for, for now. But I, I want to encourage you to think about that change of kingdom, change of who is ruling your life. But now after uh, the, the, the text tells us about the, that summary of what Jesus taught, it then tells us the story of the calling of the first disciples. And here's how it tells that story. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, 
he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So Jesus' call here to these guys has two parts. The first part is, come and follow me, and then I will send you out to fish for people. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Come and follow me. Well, to follow him is to be his disciple. It is to follow his example, to follow his teachings. To answer the call to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're going to do a perfect job of following him. That's not the requirement to enter the kingdom, isn't to be a perfect follower. But it is the decision to choose to follow him, to choose to try to live according to his teachings and his examples. And God knows that we're weak and that we frequently fail. And as we follow Jesus' disciples, these four guys and the rest of the disciples that we'll see in the, in the story here, as we follow along through the Gospel of Mark, we'll see that they uh, also frequently fail to live up to their commitment here. Even after spending about three years with Jesus, face to face, hearing him, uh, seeing the miracles, doing all these things, uh, they still fail him when he's arrested and they all uh, run away. But despite the disciples' failure and despite my failure and your failure, we can respond to Jesus' call to follow him. Because that call is not a call to perfection, but a call to commit, to choose, to following him. Now, I'm not saying that our failures don't matter to Jesus. Sin is serious. And when God calls us to battle against sin, and we are to struggle to overcome it, and final victory in that battle will come, even if it's not in this life. And so Jesus calls these guys to follow him. Now for them, it was a bit different than it is for us since they were, uh, had a, a much more literal aspect to following where they actually walked behind uh, Jesus and followed him and uh, traveled from place to place with him, uh, listening to his teachings and seeing the miracles. Our call to follow Jesus doesn't have that same physical uh, traveling about dimension to it, but it is no less real. We too are called to study Jesus' example and his teaching and to learn to live like he did. And that theme also follows through uh, later in the scripture, that idea of imitating Jesus. The apostle Paul put it like this. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The Apostle John wrote, whoever claims to live in him must live like Jesus did. And Jesus said, come and follow me. The second part of his call is that he will send you out to fish for people. Now, why does Jesus, or why does Jesus use the metaphor of fishing for people? Well, it's because that's what these four guys did, and it was something that they could relate to, and so he was making a connection with them. Uh, but 
uh, really what he's calling them to is not that much like fishing. Um, we're not called to catch people in nets and kill them and eat them or sell them in the marketplace. Um, so don't get carried away with the metaphor. I, uh, but, but the point is, it is an appropriate metaphor in the sense that uh, what Jesus is calling his followers to do um, when we become a Christian and we start following Jesus and we cross from the kingdom uh, of the world into the kingdom of God, it's not just about you and how it's going to affect your life and all the good benefits that you will receive. Jesus' call on your life includes a call to a mission. Jesus will send you out to fish for people. That is, he wants us to be bringing more people into the kingdom. And bringing people into the kingdom will require the kind of skill and effort and persistence that's a bit like fishing. Uh, the Apostle Paul described the task like this. He said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is fishing for people. God is making his appeal through us, imploring people to be reconciled to God, to repent and believe the good news. Now, when Jesus called uh, these men in the story, uh, it tells us that they left their old lives behind to follow him. Right? It makes it sound as if they just like immediately like walked away and left everything lying there on the beach. Um, probably that's a dramatic uh, way to uh, emphasize the point that Mark is trying to make here. We do see later that um, they still have families and houses and boats and fishing gear and all these things. Uh, we'll see that later in the story. Um, and, uh, and indeed, they even are fishing later in the story. But the Bible describes them as leaving their nets in order to emphasize that their lives did not just go on as normal after they chose to follow Jesus. They were no longer full-time fishermen spending their days earning a living on the lake. They occasionally did that. But now they were following Jesus and their old way of life had changed. The sons of Zebedee, they didn't break all contact with their parents. Their mother appears with them much later in the story. Um, but their old relationships have changed. And their loyalty to Jesus now overrules their loyalty even to their father and his business. God calls all of us to leave behind our old way of life. We are called to change. When we encounter Jesus and respond to his call, we leave our old way of life behind to follow him. So what is it that he's calling you to leave behind? What changes need to be made in your life? What role is he calling you to play in the great fishing expedition? How has your encounter with Jesus marked your life? And what new mark 
does he want to leave on you today? 